Today, we are going to explore a very common skin condition called rosacea or acne rosacea. Patients who have this condition typically present with redness and often small red bumps on their face. Interestingly enough, there are as many as 400 million people in the world that are affected by rosacea, according to research published in the British Journal of Dermatology. Additionally, I found this fascinating to discover that over 300,000 searches are made on the internet every month for the term rosacea. We are fortunate today to have Dr. Guy Webster, a clinical professor of dermatology at Thomas Jefferson University in Philadelphia, who is the founding president of the American Acne and Rosacea Society. Dr. Webster also serves on the editorial boards for the Journal of American Academy of Dermatology, Dermatology Online Journal, Clinics in Dermatology, and Skin Therapy Letter. Dr. Webster, I'm excited to be chatting with you today about rosacea. Welcome. Good to be here. Let's start with the basics. Can you please explain to the audience what is rosacea? <laughs> that ought to be an easy um question to answer, but it's not because rosacea is a mixture of different symptoms. I don't want to call them different diseases because they all occur in patients who we label rosacea. In one patient, it's just being very blushy and red-cheeked. In another, there's pimples on the red cheeks. In another, their nose gets big and swollen with overgrowth of sebaceous glands. Uh, if you think W.C. Fields, or if you're too young to remember W.C. Fields, maybe Bill Clinton had a big lumpy nose, and that's part of rosacea. There's also ocular rosacea, which involves irritated um, conjunctiva, irritated uh, eyelids and styes. Sometimes that's the earliest thing. Uh, kids don't get rosacea, but kids get styes, and kids who get styes grow into adults get rosacea. Do we know at this point what the etiology of rosacea is? Uh, the answer is clearly no, um, which actually applies to a lot of diseases. We can explain what's happening molecularly sometimes, but why it's happening remains a mystery. But rosacea is a bigger mystery than most. Um, there's a sort of hereditary component that tends to run in families. It tends to run among the fair skin. The central feature in all of rosacea seems to be a predisposition to being blushy, red-cheeked from various stimuli like hot temperatures or hot liquid in your mouth or spicy food. And uh, it may not be all the time, but the threshold for blush in all rosacea patients seems to be lower than the threshold for blush in non-rosacea patients. So we're talking about blood flow and what controls blood flow is neuro neurological function. So ultimately rosacea is a neuro disease, but outside of that, there hasn't been a good linkage between nerves and the symptoms of rosacea. It's clear that rosacea patients in their skin when it's pimply have the innate immune system activated and there are certain components of that that will provoke rosacea, but whether or not, whether or not innate immune system hyperactivity is, uh, is the underlying cause or just a feature triggered by something else like neurological issues is completely unknown. 
for those who are in immunologists, the innate immune system is the primitive part of immunity where the body reacts to invaders and stimuli with preformed responses that are not specific to the stimulus. And that's as opposed to the immune part of innate immunity where uh, the body learns to recognize a new object, builds defenses specifically against it, and, uh, and then kills it. So this is part of the, the innate immune system, not the adaptive immune system. Too much detail? No, perfect. Okay. Who is predominantly affected by rosacea? You know, superficially, the fair-skinned is, is the easy answer. <laughs> But some of that is bias in visualizing. Uh, I've seen plenty of patients with type 4 and 5, in other words, very dark skin, who have rosacea if you ask the right questions. You can't see them blush, but if you talk about facial sensitivity and appealing and facial warmth, it's there as much as um, you know, the fair-skinned Irish person. But it's, it's certainly more common among the fair-skinned. Is it commonly um, missed in patients of darker skin tones? Yes, it, it absolutely is. And um, they don't suffer much from that because our treatments for rosacea sometimes aren't that great. But it wasn't, a, wasn't uncommon um, to see patients who have had years of facial issues that aren't obviously rosacea until you ask the right questions or until you do the right exam. And in this case, the right exam would be checking their eyes or going like that and see if their meibomian glands are stuffed and if their eyelids are inflamed or asking if they have a history of styes. How often do you see, you mentioned that genetics sometimes play a role. How often is it that you see this correlation in a family history? I don't think there's a study that addresses it, um, but I can tell you that uh, when I've examined some very fair-skinned people and said, you know, you have rosacea, and then I tell them what it is, they say, oh, it's my whole family. Everybody in Boston looks like this. <laughs> so what are the typical clinical features of rosacea when a patient walks in the room and you look at them and you say, ah, this is, this is definitely rosacea? Well, glowing red cheek. Uh, sometimes with telangiectasia, which are visible blood vessels. It's important to note that telangiectasia is different than a blush, even though it may look red from a distance. It's a fixed opening of blood vessels that's not reactive to nerves or stimuli. So someone who comes in with visible blood vessels all over their face probably has more sun damage than rosacea. Someone who comes in and complains of a reactive blushing to various things like hot water or alcohol. That is more in the rosacea spectrum. Uh, the classic patient, if you like kind of cartoons of patients would have red cheeks and pimples in the center of their face um, on either side of their nose. Um, and then maybe a big uh, WC fields looking nasal overgrowth. But usually uh, the people who get the nasal overgrowth don't have much of the other two parts of rosacea. And something that's important to always say when you're talking about the nasal overgrowth, which is called rhinophyma, is that it is not a stage of rosacea that you progress to. So the woman who comes in with three pimples who's looked into rosacea and is worried she's going to look like Bill Clinton, 
you could pretty much tell her that if you don't have it now, you're not going to have it. And that your pimply rosacea does not progress to nasal overgrowth if you leave it untreated. In other words, you can save her lives. But it's more common to see rhinophyma as an isolated finding of rosacea. As the isolated predominant finding of rosacea. You talk to the rhinophyma guy, they may say that, yeah, I get some eye problems, but what we really care about is the nose. Actually, many times they don't care about it, and it's an incidental finding, and uh, it's actually good because there's not a lot to do for it that isn't surgical. Hmm. Uh, do you see other associated signs and symptoms um, beyond blushing? Well, it's pretty much limited <laughs> to the face. Someone who is a blusher may blush on their chest too. It's actually more common than you think, except people usually don't expose their chests enough to know that they're blushing there too. Um, there's not a whole lot of other associated stuff. There's a, a flurry of reports lately looking at what diseases are common in patients with rosacea. And there's an endless, truly endless list of things whose incidences increase. And it's hard to know what that means because clearly glioblastoma has nothing to do with rosacea. And um, I, I would not be going out and getting my rosacea patients to them I to find it. <laughs> what are triggering factors? Triggering factors are determined by what excites nerves. They can be local on the face, like temperature. You get a lot of sun and you're going to get warm and the blush, you're going to blush. It can also be triggered by what you put in your mouth. If you get make the inside of your mouth hot with hot water, then um, you're going to blush if you have rosacea at a far lower hot water temperature than someone with no rosacea. There's been a lot of talk over the years that it's caffeine. Caffeine has nothing to do with it. Jonathan Wilkins showed clearly that it was temperature. But there are chemicals that will. There are nerve receptors uh, called TRPS. I forget what it stands for now, but I passed my board so I don't have to. Um, that are activated by specific things like capsaicin, which is the essence of hot pepper and alcohol and various other things that are sometimes unique to each patient. When they detect that thing, they fire. And one of the things that ends up happening is cheeks blush. Uh, there's a lot of talk about triggers for rosacea based on what patients say. And it's muddled literature because patients don't associate the trigger they had on Sunday with the pimple flare they had on Tuesday. It's hard to do. They associate what they put in their mouth on Sunday with the red face they got five minutes later. So a lot of the quote triggers of rosacea apply only to blush and we're still figuring out about the pimply part. So is that because of the innate immune system that it could be, the reaction could be a few days later? Yeah, and we're, we don't understand well the link between the blush and the pimple. We know that it happens in the same groups of people and assume there is one, but um, you know, the, there's not, there, there's no pathway from nerve to pimple that's obvious. You can make arguments and wave your hands and make diagrams on a chalkboard and draw lines all over the place. But still, it's all speculation. There's something in there and we'll figure it out. But in the meantime, we don't know.
another issue that hasn't come up is the role of the skin mite called Demodex. Um, we all have this mite on our skin, and the older you are, the more you have. Uh, it's in the mainly big sebaceous areas, like the very center of your face, the nose, between your eyebrows, your cheeks. And it's in there in everybody, whether they have rosacea or not. And once you know it's there, it's pretty cool to put on a, a, scra a scraping and see it waving at you underneath when you look in under the microscope. And um, it's always good for grossing out collagens as well. But we all have it. Uh, it pretty much stays in the follicle. It comes out in the evening um, to be more superficial, which is the better time to see it. Why it does that, I don't know. I think they have rays or something on the sensor. But it's completely harmless, and we have no idea whether or not it performs a function that helps us. Uh, I think it's probably the, um, not a symbiosis, uh, but who knows. The reason to bring it up is for years it's been implicated mainly based on the similar location of rosacea and this little demodex bug. And nobody came up with good explanations for why it should be linked until a company developed topical ivermectin, which is an anti-mite drug. And it does a great job of killing him, and it does a great job with rosacea. Um, how to explain um, that people who have no rosacea still have plenty of this mite is a big gap in our understanding, but there's precedent for that sort of thing. Uh, at the moment, all we can say is you kill the mite, the rosacea usually gets better. And if you stop thinking there, it's probably okay, unless you're a scientist. Interesting. Is So I just want to bring the conversation back a little bit. You mentioned how um, one of the possible triggers is hot liquids, like hot coffee or hot tea. Um, it's often as well as spicy food, but it's also associated with alcohol. Is this a, a myth or is it true? Well, alcohol will make you blush and hot water will make you blush and hot peppers will make you blush. So it's in the list of things that make you blush, which is at least temporarily related um, to the blush and maybe to the pimples. Uh, there's this big gap between getting you from blushing from hot peppers to having pimples a few days later. Um, so it's in the same class as all of them. Is it fair to say that drinkers, the people through Rosacea are likely bad drinkers? Absolutely not. Um, I haven't seen any study that shows it. And I've seen plenty of people with Rosacea who didn't touch a drop and plenty of people who touch more than a drop by a large margin who don't have Rosacea. So, you know, that may be one of those superficial things that appears to be obvious until you look into it. And then maybe it's not so clear. You know, another example of correlation, not equaling causation. Do you ever have patients come in and they say, doctor, should I avoid um, these following foods? And do you suggest that they keep a food journal to see what maybe a possible trigger is? We talk about differentiating between triggering blush and triggering pimples. You know, the things that make you blush may not be the things that make you pimple. And they often ask, should I keep a diary? And, you know, I've never seen an instance of a diary helping a patient learn more 
about the rosacea than they already know. You know, you know if you take a drink and you blush, well, you're going to blush if you take a drink. And by the time you get to my office, you've made your own list of things that make you blush. Cheese and other fermented things are on a lot of people's lists. But, you know, unless I wanted to make the patient go insane, I don't tell them to, to make lists. Because well, two consequences of it. One is they're doing something that you have no faith in, that I have no faith in. And that seems dishonest. And secondly, there's no information that I can get out of it. And third, the patient collects a lot of data that they become invested in. And it may all be garbage. And I don't want to take people down that pathway. Um, there's tremendous interest in finding food causes and food sensitivities for all kinds of stuff. It's an honest impulse, but there's not a lot of value that comes out of it. Celiac disease, sure. All the other things I think are squishy science and that's complimenting. <laughs> Do we understand the pathogenesis behind sun exposure and why that may make your rosacea worse? We don't, uh, but it seems to be true that people who protect themselves from sun have a, uh, a lessening of the rosacea symptoms. In general, skin barrier function, in other words, the ability of the skin to keep irritating things from the world to get in through the skin to irritate the patient, skin barrier function is important. And often in rosacea patients, it's defective. It may be from things they're doing to try to make their skin look better. In fact, it often is. Uh, astringents, which do no, and nobody any good, and vitamin A creams and all sorts of alpha hydroxy acids and peels and all the crap that cosmetics sell because they're allowed to, not because they know it works. All of that destroys the skin barrier. And uh, sometimes you get a benefit from it, like with vitamin A cream, retinol, for example, as part of the repair of the irritation and some other things too, you get a improvement in collagen under the skin and a tightening of fine wrinkles. So I'm, I'm not saying they don't always work. I'm saying that they're a net loss in a patient with rosacea. Uh, you go from having skin that can stand up to the world to skin that reacts by getting irritated. And uh, you know some of the responses to the chronic irritation, like putting a little cortisone on there, relieve the irritation, but make the barrier worse. So you get a vicious cycle. Um, in general, we tell patients to be gentle to their face, eliminate all their junk they're putting on and, um, and, and uh, not do anything other than gentle soap and simple moisturizing. If somebody's worrying, wondering if they have a lousy barrier or if a doc wants to test, one of the things you can do is put in alpha hydroxy acid in other words, something like amlactin moisturizing cream, right in here. And if that stings, then you know that the barrier is no good because the acid's getting through the barrier to irritate the skin. A lot of times you can just ask the patient, does stuff sting when you get it on your face? And they'll give you a list of things they can't tolerate. And then not only do you eliminate all of them, but you eliminate the thing that's trashing their barrier to begin with. And it almost always comes down to efforts to make the barrier, efforts to look prettier, uh, like anti-aging junk, uh, which is bad for- Very popular. <laughs> yeah, you know, 
And the FDA uh, makes distinctions between cosmetics and drugs. Drugs have to prove they work and are safe. In other words, safe and effective. And drugs are allowed to change the structure and function of skin in their claims. Cosmetics don't have to prove they work. They can't change the structure and function and they can't make any claims. So you typically read cosmetic stuff that says, improves the appearance of whatever, 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 mm -hmm. which the FDA says paint would improve the appearance of without changing the function of the wall so they let them get away with it. But they spend these tremendous towers of wishful thinking and outright lies to sell their products. And people buy it because it seems like it's true. They couldn't say on TV if it wasn't true. <laughs> Much less the internet. <laughs> so we know that um, rosacea affects certain areas of the face. Why do we think it spares certain areas? My answer is because the nerves are involved. And whenever you have weird distributions of things on the skin, uh, a good explanation is the nerves may be doing it. In the case of rosacea, the nerves have waves that wave their hand and said, I'm involved because you know, it's, it's correlated with blushing. Blushing is a nerve thing. So that to me explains what's going on with the center of the facial location. Uh, I, you know, I want to bring up my father has what I think is septum. He has it around the nasolabial fold, kind of, this area of the face. And it seems every time he goes into the sun, it just gets a lot worse, but it has a lot of overlapping features. He also has it in this area. It has overlapping features with rosacea. Is that something you commonly see where it might be difficult to determine or differentiate if it's rosacea or seborrheic dermatitis? Or well, one of the hallmarks of sedderm is scaliness. So when you're stuck with a location that could be either rosacea or sedderm, if there's scaliness here and here and hairline or ears, then it points you towards sedderm. If there's no scale or scaliness, you gotta wonder. The fact that it's triggered by heat points me more to rosacea than sedderm. But there's a trick you can do. And that is you can put a little um, Elodil, Pemicrolemus on it. And if it gets better, it's sedderm. Because Pemicrolemus doesn't do diddly for rosacea unless it's being provoked by sedderm or eczema. And there's plenty of overlaps. Um, I've had docs say, I never see that overlap. Well, it's because you never looked, it's there. Uh, patients who aren't getting better with centrofacial rosacea may benefit tremendously from a treatment of their spongiotic or eczematous disease with microlemus, which is great because it's not a steroid, won't provoke the rosacea. The worst it'll do is not, not help the rosacea. But if the primary disease is sedderm and that's provoking rosacea by the sedderm inflammation, fixing that often fixes the rosacea. So in that case, what would you treat the patient with if they have that, the overlapping diseases? Well, I would treat um, the, the underlying, what I feel is the underlying disease, whether it's eczema or sedderm with something um, like uh, tacrolimus or pemicrolemus. Okay. And how do you differentiate rosacea from pustular acne or acne vulgaris? Since you can obviously have, not all rosacea has pustules, but sometimes you see pustules. 
this is the answer that frustrates all dermatologists. And it is, well, it just looks like rosacea. Um, rosacea doesn't have the same distribution as acne. Um, acne tends to go more back towards the ears and not the just center of the face. Acne tends to go to the jaw. Acne tends to be in younger people than rosacea. You know, average acne age is teens to early 20s. Average rosacea age is 30, 40, 50. So there's a gap, although there's a tail on that distribution where acne overlaps with rosacea in some patients. Uh, acne flares with periods if you're a woman. Uh, acne papules tend to be deeper and brighter red than rosacea, which is more pink. But, you know, all in all, it's, there's no single thing that you can use to separate the two. You just look at it and say, oh, it's rosacea. Uh, is, it, is it a common thing to screw up? Yeah, if you go on some of the big internet things uh, that have pictures of germ disease, there's tremendous confusion about what's labeled acne rosacea syndrome. Um, so it's not just me, it's everybody finds it hard. Um, to, to at least give criteria. Most of us know it when we see it. Thank you for that. Um, what are, what? No, that, no, you time really. Time. That's the no, kind of you. you've in court. Um, <laughs> you're, you're a pro. So what are the treatment options that you usually find most effective for treating um, rosacea and do you, if a patient comes in and they, you see, okay, they have rosacea, they don't have pustules, do you choose one treatment over another? Or, and if another patient comes in and they do have pustules and it's clearly acne rosacea, do you treat with a specific treatment? We don't call acne rosacea pimples with papules. It's kind of an archaic term. Um, we call it rosacea or acne, which does a lot to and untangle the confusion between the two. Uh, different phases of rosacea um, respond to different drugs. The blush, we have two good vasoconstrictors that you can put on it to keep it quiet. Uh, topical bromonidine and a drug called Rofade, whose generic name I'm blanking on. Uh, they both work pretty well. Rofade is the gentler of the two. Uh, the vaso will turn your cheeks white if you put it on. And that's not a bad thing. Uh, each drug has its advantages and disadvantages. As I alluded to earlier, you have to fix the barrier. If you don't fix the barrier, you're not getting anywhere with your drugs. So make sure they're not beating your skin off. If they're pimply, there's a couple of drugs that are indicated topically. Topical ivermectin works pretty darn well. Um, topical metronidazole works well on some patients, but in others, it's kind of weak and gentle. It does no harm though, and it's cheap, relatively speaking. Um, I'm tempted to go off into a rant on drug prices and how mm -hmm. it's not the pharma. It's all the middlemen in between the drug maker and the patient who raised the prices. It's scandalous. The federal government, if they had any guts, would, would jump on it and stop these people from just eroding healthcare dollars out of the system. But I won't go down that thing. <laughs> uh, the, the, another approach for pimples is oral doxycycline. Uh, doxycycline in high dose works. 
Doxycycline really low dose works too, so low that it's not antibacterial at all. There's no antibiotic effect. It has zero change in the uh, flora of the GI tract or, or the other mucosal areas. So it is being given as an anti-inflammatory drug, even though its chemical structure is antibiotic because we're giving so little of it that there's no antibacterial activity. It's strictly anti-inflammatory. The translation of all of that is it's really, really safe. It had fewer side effects than placebo in the phase three trials. There's no yeast infections, there's no sunburn, nothing. It's super drug and it also works for periodontal disease for similar reasons, that it's anti-inflammatory and decreases the damage and proteases do in the skin. Works very well for pimples, works pretty darn well for styes in the eye. It's a great drug. Uh, I wish it were cheaper. It should be. It's generic. But now we're going into a feedback loop on what I hate about chocolate. At what point do you decide whether to use oral antibiotics? Are there some patients, they walk in and maybe they came a little bit late in their phase of rosacea is later stage. Um, and you say, okay, we're skipping the topicals. I'm putting right on to oral antibiotics. Or do you sometimes yeah. first try um, the topicals and then go to oral, or do you do a combination therapy? Several questions buried in that. Uh, the first one I want to attack is, is stepwise therapy a proper way to treat a patient? In other words, you start on a drug. If that fails, you go to another drug. If that fails, you go to another drug. If you're practicing medicine from Facebook, there's some sense to that. Uh, insurance companies want you to start on a drug that you know won't work because you're a clinical expert and you know what works. They want you to start on something you know won't work and prove it fails. If you want to take medicine back to, you know, the days of inexperience and no knowledge, that's a perfect way to do it. Uh, but that's not how an expert does it. An expert looks at a patient and says, you're this bad, I know you need this drug to get you better, and I'm not gonna waste your time and money fooling around with drugs that won't get you. Um, we see this problem a lot in acne and in psoriasis in particular, which are diseases where we have a spectrum of treatments and a pro knows what you need to get better. You don't need some scumbag who works for an insurance company telling you how to practice medicine. So putting that rate aside, yes, you know what people need to get better. And um, you typically don't jump, you, you typically don't start with a topical if you think they're severe enough to require an oral. Uh, I wanna hesitate in making sure I'm not implying that one disease progresses to another and that you need to use a stronger drug to prevent the progression. Rosacea may get worse, but it doesn't progress from stage to stage. That seems to be a property of the individual's makeup and not the consequence of not getting treated early. Um, so how do I choose? Uh, in somebody who is, uh, well, actually, the first thing I say is, do you want a pill or a cream? Uh, <laughs> up until now, recently, we haven't had a cream that would rival a pill. Topical ivermectin is that cream. So if the patient says, I'd rather a cream topical ivermectin, if they say, I'd rather a pill, low-dose doxycycline. In general, men hate creams. Uh, in general, women would rather be on a cream. So I can almost predict who's going to want one. But that's okay. We can suit them uh, 
for that. If they have styves, sometimes uh, my German colleagues find that getting the topical ivermectin right up to the very edge of the eyelid, um, without, of course, putting it in the eye, will make the, the ocularization get better. Mm. I think I've seen that, um, but my patients are in German. They do better with oral antibiotics. <laughs> and do you ever find yourself using isotretinoin? Isotretinoin is a natural reaction that is, its primary mode of action is not active in rosacea. It's an anti-sebaceous gland drug, and it works in acne, acne mainly by killing the sebaceous gland and starving the follicle of triglycerides, which then keep the bacteria from growing. And if, if there's no bacteria, there's no target for the immune response. It does other things. It seems to pr promote immune tolerance of, of the bug in the follicle that causes acne. But the thing that gets acne better really quick is the biggest effect, which is sebaceous gland killing. Sebaceous glands aren't active in rosacea. Uh, there's plenty of places on the face where you have sebaceous glands that you don't get rosacea. They are, if they're a part of the disease, they're a tiny part. So when you give isotretinoin in rosacea, you're hoping that it's fairly small anti-inflammatory effect is gonna operate where you're professional anti-inflammatory drug, doxycycline has failed. Long way of taking to say, no, I don't use it much. And I would use other things uh, before I subtract um, For the nose, yeah. for, for rhinophyma, if you catch it early, it will interrupt that because that is a sebaceous issue. Problem is when patients come in with big Bill Clinton noses, they have sebaceous overgrowth plus fibrosis or scarring, and the, the isotretinoin doesn't do much for the scarring, so the response of a mature rhinophyma nose is limited. So what would you do for a patient in that case? I, I'd send them to somebody who would laser their nose down to an appropriate size. Okay, so you mentioned late. pro, it looks great. I'm sorry, what? If, if you have a pro doing the lasering or the hot loop cordery, it looks fabulous. If you so go you, to some guy who says, yeah, I can do that, you know, that's the kind of result. You mentioned lasers. Um, do you often, besides this, using them for possibly rhinophyma, um, do you find yourself ever recommending laser treatments or pulse dye lasers? Yeah. Lasers target in rosacea the, the blood vessels. Lasers are fabulous for fixed dilation, in other words, telangiectasia. They improve blush maybe for a month or two or three, but ultimately the vessels that you've destroyed with the laser that we're doing the blushing, um, other ones are recruited by the nervous system and the patient will be back blushing in months time. So I tend not to recommend it unless it's the telangiectasia they're hating. Uh, the blushing we can take care of with topical bromonidine the uh, telangiectasia we can take care of with the laser. They're complementary treatments. So after treating someone with, say, oral antibiotics, their erythema is gone, do you, and many months later, and everything kind of is maintained and looks good, but they still have these persistent telangiectasias, do you say, okay, at this point, we recommend a laser? 
Yeah, and maybe even sooner than that. Uh, the time to think about lasering is when the reactive erythema of pimples has been treated away and you're left with just a red face. It shouldn't take months. Um, you do want to differentiate between reactive erythema and fixed telangiectasia because they're different beasts. And um, I think the, the patient's face would be happier if you waited until the pimples are gone. How long um, do you typically see that it takes for um, things to settle down and resolve? It depends on how resistant the disease is and how compliant they are. A couple months, usually. And is it what, what I call clear? Is it common to see recurrence? Yeah, rosacea is a tendency that is wired into the patient. And when you stop treating it, it will come back. Might not come back immediately. Patients often figure out on long-term treatment how often they need to use their drugs. Uh, some it's seasonal, some it's once a week. They figure it out, and that's fine with me because there is no risk of under treatment. Where do you see the future um, treatment options for rosacea? I think we're going to be figuring out what the primary neurologic defect is and uh, somehow getting around that. And that ought to turn off rosacea. So Dr. Webster, thank you so much for sharing your information with us today. Is there anything else you think it's important for our audience to know? The most important thing is treat your face gently. If you have a tendency to rosacea, don't beat it up with stuff that's designed to make you look younger because it will have the opposite effect. And there's one more thing I would like to add. Is there a reason we should avoid using topical steroids if we have rosacea? Yeah, topical steroids, um, when they came around in the 60s, were a miracle because they made rosacea better. But then docs began to discover that after many months or a year or so, the rosacea came back, required stronger steroids for the same benefit, and you went down a slippery slope of eventually ending with facial atrophy and problems. It's not clear to me why long-term steroid use um, uh, makes patients get resistant to it when other drugs that treat rosacea don't, but it for sure does. It may simply be thinning the skin and, and making a bad barrier, which Let's the rosacea get irritated easily. But steroids are absolutely not for long-term use. Does that mean never ever? No, if somebody is meeting the president, I'll give him some steroid to quiet him down for a week. But it'll be uh, along with the caution that, you know, you can't rely on this every time you meet the president. You gotta work on a long-term solution uh, for the rosacea. Thank you so much, Dr. Webster. I really enjoyed speaking to you today. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Derm Club podcast. If you found the discussion today to be valuable, please subscribe and share. I look forward to seeing you in the next episode as we continue to delve into dermatology and skincare with the world experts.